With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. Superchargers, headlights, and more with over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at first, first listen. listen. This season... We're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Volume. It's Boxing with Chris Mannix, presented by FanDuel. The sports calendar is packed, and there's no better place to get into the action than with FanDuel. There are so many sports to bet on, like the NBA, college basketball, PGA Tour, and yes, boxing. Every Saturday, bet boxing with me. Doing well these last couple of weeks, so stick with me. The app is safe, secure, and easy to use. FanDuel has exclusive offers, boosts, and more all month long. When you win... You'll get paid fast. FanDuel has lots of ways to play, like the spread, money line, over-unders, team totals, player props, and so much more. Jump into the action at any time during the game with live betting. Combine multiple bets from the same game in a same-game parlay and try out Same Game Parlay Plus. So download the FanDuel app today to start making every moment more. 21 plus in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 deposit required. Refund issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See full terms at FanDuel.com sportsbook. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with the Kansas City Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com RG. Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, or Virginia. 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit www.mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369 in New York, 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming or visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia. This is Boxing with Chris Manning. Oh, somebody punch him in the face. Anthony Joshua is a composed and ferocious finisher. Watch this. Andy Ruiz is the heavyweight champion. Hosted by SI's Chris Mannix. That was my moment. Now with interviews, analysis, and everything going on in the world of boxing. When you have talent, you are given another chance. Here's Chris Mannix. And we are back. Boxing with Chris Mannix, part of the Volume Sports Podcast Network. Colin Cowherd's Podcast Network. Glad you could join me. Glad if you're listening on AMP. We're coming to you live on Tuesday evening on the East Coast. The podcast, of course, comes out 
on Wednesdays, but you can listen to the show live on AMP uh, Tuesdays before it comes out. So thanks to everyone listening uh, there. A couple of quick housekeeping things before I get into the show. Uh, we are nominated for the top podcast in the combat sports category. So if you're a listener and you want to help the show out, go to sportspodcastgroup.com. You can sign up there, vote for the podcast. If we win, I'll give you all a prize. I don't know what that prize is, but uh, I'll come up with something. Uh, also, new merch is now available. New merch. And my next guest I know is a huge fan of the one I tweeted out uh, earlier today. There is a new merch, uh, new shirt that features Charlo versus Andrade. Andrade versus Charlo, fight of the century. The fight I have been begging for for the better part of the last four years. You can buy a t-shirt that commemorates a fight that may happen, but probably won't happen and will be talked about for centuries to come because uh, it was the fight that could have saved boxing. At least that's how I uh, currently view it. You go to volume.com or thevolume.com to pick up uh, merchandise there. All right, Keith Eidek, senior writer, boxingscene.com, friend of the podcast. I know he bought a shirt as soon as it came out because he has been clamoring for that fight nearly as often as I have. Is that right, Keith? Do you do you have your shirt on back order right now? Look, if I can't get a free one, I give up, you know? <laughs> That's true. You do deserve a free <laughs> one uh, at this point. All right, a lot to get into um, on this, this episode. I want to talk about David Benavidez against Caleb Plant. What's next for Benavidez? Jose Ramirez was back in action as well. And Anthony Joshua. He's going to make an anticipated return this weekend in the heavyweight division over in the UK against Jermaine Franklin. But first, Keith, you were ringside for Benavidez versus Plant in Las Vegas. A excellent fight, an excellent overall card, but an excellent fight between two top guys in 168-pound division. Caleb Plant looked pretty good early on using his jab, using his movement, using the biggest ring I've ever seen. Uh, but Benavidez eventually tracked him down and punished him in the second half of the fight, securing for him what was a wide decision win. So give me your impressions on what you saw between Benavidez and Plant. Well, first things first, Chris, ringside is probably a stretch at this point. Um, we, we we were in the building, um, but it was a very good fight. You know, it, it, look, it, it was a coming out party of sorts for David Benavidez, and I think the fight played out the way that most people anticipated. You know, Plant was going to get off to a strong start. He was going to use his legs, use his jab. He counterpunched well. Uh, he was very effective in the first five rounds. In fact, uh, Tim Cheatham, who's a judge who tends to favor boxers, had him up five rounds to zero going into the sixth round. It was closer on the other two cards. But Plant was very effective in those first five rounds. But as I think most people expected, Chris, I'm sure you did as well, uh, Benavidez's pressure just wore him down. You know, he's a great body puncher. He throws a lot of punches. He never stops coming forward. He's got a great chin. And he just wore Caleb Plant out. And I think that's what a lot of people anticipated happening. I, I thought he would stop him in, you know, the 10th, 11th, 12th rounds. And that didn't happen. Uh, but otherwise, the, the fight pretty much unfolded as I anticipated it. And I've been wrong a million times, too. But in, in this case, you know, I think it pretty much played out the way most people saw it playing out. So, uh, it was a great win for David Benavides. It was a really good event too, Chris, in that uh, the, the announced attendance was uh, 13,800 and something. They called it a sellout. I don't even want to get into that. Um, the building holds 16,500 or so. 
you sell 16,500 tickets. It's a sellout. It's not a sellout just because you put that, if you put eight tickets on sale and you sell eight tickets, you can't call it a sellout, but that's, I don't know. I don't want to, I don't want to uh, rain on what was a good event, but uh, it, they did a very good gate. They did between three and $4 million in ticket sales, which is a very healthy number. Uh, considering that Benavidez had not been in an event of this magnitude, I think it speaks to uh, how people are responding to him. Um, and, you know, again, I, the undercard was was solid. I mean, you know, the, the undercard was full of uh, pretty good evenly matched fights um, uh, on paper, I should say. And uh, two of them certainly played out that way. Uh, so the event overall was good. And it was, again, I believe in a way a coming out party for David Benavidez. Yeah, you, you use the phrase, went as expected, and I would agree with that because it felt like that fight early on was going to be one that at the very least Caleb Plant had a lot of success in because he is a pretty sharp boxer. He has a decent jab, and because of the size of that ring, 22 by 22, he had a lot of real estate to work with. So it was set up for Caleb Plant to do well in the early stages of that fight. The question was, when would Benavidez be able to track him down and how much damage could he do over the final X number of rounds of the fight? It really was maybe the sixth round where he started to wear down David, uh, wear down Caleb Plant and take control of that fight, force Plant to do an awful lot of holding, just a lot of holding in the second half uh, of that fight, um, but eventually was able to land you know, just a lot of power punches. I forget what the numbers were over the final six rounds, but it was like 170 to 45 or, or something like that in terms of punches landed in the final six rounds of the fight. So it was dominated uh, by David Benavidez. Uh, I did think it was going to go to a decision too. I don't know if you predicted that going in, but I thought that oh. I, I thought it would go to a decision um, because I, I, I thought you're bragging about your betting. Uh, I yeah, well. I've had some good I've had some good runs here, Keith. Just to be clear, I mean, I had Mercito Hesta by decision a couple of weeks ago. Bam, hit on that one. That, that, I had David that, Benavidez. That was ballsy. I'll give you that. Yes, much. I also took Jose Ramirez plus two hundred by knockout against uh, Richard Comey. That was another one there too. So you're talking to a guy on a heater here right now. Just to be clear about that. So, but my point was the reason I picked Benavidez by decision was because he has a lot of knockout, but the knockouts have come against like. You know, B and C level guys. Like, who's the best guy he knocked out? Anthony Durrell, and he stopped him uh, on a cut. Like, he's he's got some Romer Angulo. Like, he's he's got some 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 lower level guys. I, th I thought Caleb Plant would do enough to survive to the end of the fight. Got an assist though from Kenny Bayless. Uh, you were watching that fight ringside. Didn't look to me from TV that Kenny Bayless was doing David Benavidez any favors. He was allowing Caleb Plant to hold on as often as he'd like without warning. And then had some kind of weird warnings for David Benavidez as well. I didn't, I didn't quite, it wasn't the most, it wasn't the worst refereeing performance I've seen, but certainly not one Kenny Bayless is going to put on the highlight reel uh, down the line. Yeah, Chris, it's interesting because after the fight, David Benavidez for all intents and purposes said that Kenny Bayless stopped him from knocking Caleb plan out. He, he didn't really give him the opportunity to do that because he allowed so much holding. I don't really blame Plant for holding him because he was he was trying everything he could to not get knocked out because he was getting worn down, he was cut, he was beat up to the body, and he was ready to go. So I, you know, he was doing everything he could to survive. I don't blame him for that. Uh, but it, it's incumbent upon 
Kenny Bayless or any other referee to to not allow that. And it looked from the beginning of the fight, Chris, it, as you alluded to, it almost looked to me in the first few rounds like Kenny Bayless was dying to take a point from David Benavidez. He was warning him excessively. He never warned Caleb Plant for holding, as far as I could tell. And, and he held to the point where you certainly could argue he could have taken a point away. Um, it didn't turn out to matter. You know, the two two of the judges I thought got it right. I thought it was a 9-3, 8-4 type of fight because Plant started off so well. He did win. I believe he won all seven rounds on all three scorecards, all three of the last seven rounds on all three scorecards. So they were in agreement on how he took complete control of the fight in its second half. And there was no controversy as a Tim Cheatham had it a little closer than I thought it was. He had it 115, 113. Again, he tends to favor his movers and boxers and, uh, and that was reflective on his scorecard. Um, but the other two got it right. Moret, Dave Moretti had it 116-112, and, and Steve Weisfeld had it 117-111, and I thought that's really the way the fight played out. Yeah, I agree uh, with that. Now, the question is, did David, Bene, David Benavidez do enough to get the attention of Canelo Alvarez? That's the fight he wants. That's the most marketable fight in the 168-pound division that's probably the most marketable fight for Canelo Alvarez, period, at this point. Um, a Bivol rematch has a layer of intrigue to it, maybe more so if Bivol drops down to 168 for that fight. But Benavidez is a, you know, a big-time puncher, a big-time talker, and has just proven that he can be a big-time ticket seller, or at least live gate when it comes to uh, bringing in money. So... I guess that's the question that, that we'll have to consider over the next month, month and a half until Canelo gets in the ring with John Ryder. Did David Benavidez, in your mind, do enough to to make Canelo think that maybe I should fight Benavidez next and put off this Bevo rematch that he's been talking about over the last few weeks? Or on the flip side, did David Benavidez do enough where Canelo says, I, I don't want to fight that guy? And I'm not saying he, Canelo Alvarez is not afraid of anyone. He's fought, yeah. he's moved up to light heavyweight and all that. But from a business standpoint, uh, there are other options. There are other things that he can do. And certainly fighting Bivol again is one of those things. And, and from a personal perspective, you wouldn't blame him for wanting to get his get back, so to speak. I mean, he wants that rematch, whether it's a good idea or not, uh, because a lot of people think that he could fight Dimitri Bivol 10 times and he'll lose 10 times. But He's going to want that as a competitor. He's going to want that fight. Now, I don't see him having all that much trouble with John Ryder on May 6th, but uh, assuming he beats John Ryder, I think he's going to pursue the Bibball rematch, whether it's a good idea or not. And that's probably the way it's going to unfold. And then Benavidez will have to fight someone in between um, and then see what happens from there. But the, the question is maybe more so, Chris, is who does Benavidez fight in between? Yeah. Because a fight on the PBC side that's being discussed internally at least as him fighting David Morrell and that's not an easy fight that's a fight that David Benavidez frankly could lose so does he and I'm, and I'm not saying he's afraid to fight Morrell these guys will all fight each other I get that but from a business standpoint would he take that type of risk while waiting out Canelo Alvarez because that, that's really the only fight in the PBC universe that makes a whole lot of sense at 168 pounds I don't see Jamal Charlo moving up to 168 to fight Benavidez anytime soon and of course he Next. talks about it. He, he All he does is talk about it when you put a camera in front of him. He says, I'm ready to take on Benavidez. And, and if you're Benavidez, that's a fight you'd take in a heartbeat because right now you're a better fighter than Jamal Charlo. 
Yeah, Chris, you know how it is. A lot of guys say a lot of promoters say a lot of things that they don't mean. Fighters say a lot of things that they don't mean. I, I don't envision Jamal Charlo moving up to 168 pounds to fight David, David Benavidez anytime soon. I'm not saying it would never happen. It's just not going to happen within the time frame that David Benavidez needs it to happen because Charlo hasn't fought in almost two years. Um, you know, clearly is going to get in there against a 60 pounder that he'll beat. Uh, before before he would even consider something like that. And that doesn't work uh, within David Benavidez's schedule. He needs to fight later this year. Morell is probably the guy that he, that he would fight. It, that's a very good fight. It's not commercially as big of a fight as Plant because Plant is more well-known. He fought Canelo. They had this heated rivalry over the last few years. Uh, but Morell probably would be a tougher fight for Benavidez than Plant was. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, as far as Canelo goes... I, I got to give Sergio Morris some credit. I'm loath to do that because, you know, he, he'll listen to this and uh, pat himself on the back on Twitter. But, you know, look, not to say Benavidez can't beat Canelo, but it's a totally different fight with Canelo because Benavidez showed no fear of Caleb Plant's right hand in that uh, that fight. He's going to be wary of Canelo's. You know, Canelo has power and he has speed, and 168 is his weight class. That's where he's at his best right now. Um you know, if I'm Canelo, maybe I say, look, I'll take the Benavidez fight. I'll make a lot of money off it. And maybe we let Bevel go off and hopefully make a unification fight against Archer Betterbiev. That's a fight I'd favor Bevel in. And but but even if he won, he'd take some damage in that fight. There'd be some wear and tear from that fight. You'd take he'd take something maybe off his fastball a little bit as a result of that fight. And then maybe Canelo goes and fights Bevel in May. Of, of 2024. I, I just think from a business perspective, that makes the most sense. Canelo Benavidez is white hot right now. That is the biggest fight marketability-wise that you can make. If he could just put his pride to the side and say, I'll get to Bivol eventually, you know, that might even be a bigger fight in 2024 if Bivol all of a sudden is the undisputed champion at light heavyweight. I hear what you're saying, Chris, and that makes some sense, but I think there's a lot of uh, risks, risk involved on both sides in that case. You know what I mean? Like, is, does, if Bivol goes and fights Vetterbiev, he certainly could lose. Uh, if Canelo goes and fights Benavidez, he certainly could lose. What if they both lost? Then no one really cares about them fighting each other yeah. again. I mean, it's a it's a fight. Yeah, it's he's still Canelo Alvarez, but um, what I would you make? Let me ask you this: After watching Benavidez and how you watched Canelo so many times, like how big a favorite would you make Canelo in that fight? Uh He'd be the favorite, of course, but um, not a big one. Maybe, two to one, three to one, maybe two to, maybe two to one, because Benavidez is a lot bigger than him. He's younger, you know. He, he's he he's not a, a one punch knock. He's obviously the type of guy who wears you out with volume, but he is a hard puncher and he's a brutal body puncher. He's shown physical a guy, yeah, a very physical, you know, rough guy. Um, so, yeah, you'd have to favor Canelo, but he'd be a slight favorite, I think. And I've, it's a very interesting fight, Chris. I'm with you in that that's what I would like to see next. I'm just looking at it from a practical standpoint. I just don't think it's going to be next for for either guy because of the reasons I mentioned before. Um, I, I, it, it also would depend on if Canelo could get Bivol to come down to 168 pounds because if he's, you know, that would be an advantage for Canelo because you know, he, he'd be drained somewhat, even though Bivol has repeatedly said that he could make 168 pounds. He's, I would assume, not be the same fighter at, at 168, a weight at which he hasn't fought. Uh, 
as he is at 175 pounds. So that would be an advantage for Canelo if he were to able to get him, if he were able to entice him to do that next. Um, I don't see why Bivol, you know, why that fight wouldn't happen next. I'm not, I don't know who Bivol is going to fight in between or if he's going to fight in between. Uh, and that, that's another factor as well, because obviously a lot of people thought he was going to fight Joshua Buatzi. Um, I don't know who believed that he was going to fight Jaime Munguia, but we can get to that later. I guess. <laughs> but yeah, who that one have? died quickly. But I guess who is he going to fight? You know, Bivol might have to wind up waiting until September, and then I guess he wouldn't have fought in about 10 ish months or so from the time he fought uh, uh, Gilberto Ramirez. So, yeah, it's yeah a- his, we'll get to Bivol, but his team told me they've got three options they're working through right now. One at least nominally, was Munguia. I don't know who the other two are. And I don't know how you're going to hope to make any money if it's not Joshua Buatzi, if it's not uh, Jaime Munguia. I don't know who's out there that would generate the kind of payday that Beeble's becoming accustomed to making at this point. So we'll uh, we'll talk about Beeble in, in a minute. Um, last thought on Plant Benavidez. Plant, going to be 31 years old this summer, lost two of his last three fights. Granted, they've come at the highest level. What do you think his future is? Took a pretty good beating. You know, one thing that Benavidez said that came true, he said he was going to put it on Caleb Plant. And, you know, credit to Caleb Plant for hanging in there for 12 rounds, but he took a, a lot of punches in that fight. What do you think is the future for him? Yeah, Chris, you know, David Benavidez said exactly that in a post-fight press conference. He said, I told you I was going to be come here and beat up Caleb Plant, and that's exactly what I did. Uh, Caleb Plant, I get the sense from... Caleb Plant has made a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, he's done very well. He's been managed well. He's been advised well. And he's and he's done very well financially in this in these two of his last three fights, even in his last fight. He made seven figures for his fight against Anthony Durrell as well. So for his last three fights, he's made a lot of money. Um, I don't get the sense that he's going to be the kind of guy. He only has uh, 24 professional fights. He's 22 and two now. I don't get the sense that he's even going to be a guy that approaches having 30 professional fights before he walks away from the sport because he's done so well financially Um, and really overachieved. If you look at where he came from, he came from Ashland city, Tennessee is not a boxing hotbed that the state of Tennessee in itself is not a boxing uh, hotbed that produces a lot of elite level fighters. And Caleb plant basically made it to the elite level. He made it to the elite level of boxing. Some people might not consider him quite elite level, but he's pretty good. I mean, he's one of the top five super middleweights in the world for sure. Uh, top three, according to David Benavidez, who just shared the ring with him for 12 rounds. So I see him taking a nice long break, Chris, and uh, assess, I, I think, a fight again. Uh, but I think he's going to take a nice long break, let his body heal, then see where he's at, uh, see what's left in the in the super middleweight division. Because I don't think he's the kind of guy who's going to move up to 175. I think he's going to try to to remain because he doesn't belong there, frankly. Um, I think he'll try to you know get a, interesting fights. At, but he's already fought Canelo and he's already fought David Benavidez and lost decisively to both guys. So I don't know what's there for him, really, you know. But but he is a name. Uh, he, he's a talented guy and he's still in his physical prime. But again, I just don't think he's going to be the kind of guy who hangs around too long and is one of those cautionary tales. I think he's going to do well with his money and kind of ride off into the sunset earlier than most fighters. Yeah, I think you're dead on when it comes to to how much money he's made. And I'm curious what the impact will be you know, on him mentally. Does he have the same fire to go to the gym every day, knowing that the next step for him is going to be kind of a rebuilding type fight, maybe two rebuilding type fights to get him back to a level of, I don't know. Does he really want to fight a David Morrell at 168? Are the guys at 160 
coming up. I mean, down the line, maybe a Charlo fight at 168 is a good one. That's certainly marketable between those two guys. That could be interesting in 2024. But I think he's going to have to decide, you know, does he want to, you know, go that route? One that could take a couple of years before he has a chance to fight in a meaningful, high-level world title fight uh, once again. So, yeah, I'm curious to see what. But I think he's probably done for the rest of the year, frankly. I think he'll probably take the rest of the year off and go into 2024 with uh, maybe some options about how he's going to uh, to rebuild. All right, I want to ask you about the other card this weekend, headlined by Jose Ramirez. Uh, he takes out Richard Comey in the 11th round of that fight. I want to say first, Keith, I want to give – our pal Mark Kriegel over at ESPN, some credit for some of the stuff he did during fight week. Sometimes on broadcasts, you get a lot of kind of propaganda uh, with what comes out. Kriegel went at Jose Ramirez pretty good during that fight week about him not taking the fight against Regis program. Kind of tried to pin him down on his reasons for taking this low level fight against Richard Comey and not jumping on opportunities to fight for a world title in his next time out. So credit to Mark Kriegel for asking those types of questions on a ESPN telecast. That's where you don't often get uh, those types of, of interviews. But Ramirez comes back, kind of a predictable outcome. You know, Comey's long since shot. You know, Teofimo Lopez probably got the best of him. Lomachenko took the rest of him. And whatever, you know, uh, Ramirez took out uh, was probably the last of former world title holder uh, Richard Comey. But um, do you see Ramirez... Now going into another big fight, whether it is against Pro Gray or the winner of Teofimo against Josh Taylor, are those the the options for him in the second half of the year? Yeah, I think I think ideally what he would like to do, Chris, is is fight the winner of the of the Taylor Lopez fight because, of course, his his only loss is to Josh Taylor. It was a competitive fight. He lost, but he got knocked down twice in the fight. But it was a competitive fight. So I think he's going to want to rematch with Taylor. If Taylor beats Tiafimo Lopez, I think that fight could go either way. Um, and of course, if Tiafimo Lopez wins, it's an in-house fight for top rank. That would be very interesting to the public, I think. Um, so I, I, that's what I think he's going to try to do next. I, I understand why Mark went, went after him because some of the rationale for not taking the pro-gray fight um, doesn't sit well with people because if he wanted the fight, he could have taken it. Now, I understand what he's saying about he had a wedding planned and all that kind of... I, I understand that. And he, what he told me, uh, it was a, f- a few months ago when I told... He said, look, boxing has been put first in my life, uh, my whole life, basically. And my wife raises our kids and I'm away for training camp and everything. And I promised her we were going to get married on this date with no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And that's what I stuck to. I put my wife and my family first this time and the business second. Boxing fans don't want to hear that, but that's the way Jose Ramirez felt, that he's certainly entitled to feel that way and to put his family first. That said, it it does sound like he did not want to fight uh, Regis Progre. And this isn't the first time that he doesn't. Does anyone? No, no. (laughs) and I don't blame them because uh, Regis Progre tends to beat people up. But um, but I get it from the fans' perspective. Uh, you know they don't they don't think he wants to fight Regis Progray, and until he accepts that fight, um, they're not going to believe that he does. So I, you know I, I don't see that fight happening next. Again, I expect him to try to fight the winner of the June 10th fight between Teofimo Lopez and Josh Taylor. That seems to make the most sense. Um, but beyond that fight and Regis Progray, that's what's there for him basically at 140 pounds. He's not going to go fight. 
they're, they're not going to do a cross promotional fight with PBC for him to fight Subrio Matias or that, that's not happening. So, uh, you know, that's what's there for him basically. What do you think happens with pro gray? I mean, I, I saw Ben Shalom this week over at, in the UK say they'd love to make a Jack Catterall fight, but just reading his quotes and talking to people on progress team, it, it, it sounds more like wishful thinking than advanced negotiations right now. I mean, I'd love to see the fight to uh, pro Greg Catterall is a solid fight, either in, either in the UK or the US, but I don't know. I, I'm not optimistic that that fight happens anytime soon. Are you? No, but, but I understand it from the from the perspective of Catterall's people because they're kind of left here holding the bag when Josh Taylor yeah. walks from the fight. So they need him to, to get into a high-profile fight. He, a lot of people think that he beat Josh Taylor. So I, I think – and Progre has shown uh, you know a willingness to go overseas. He fought in the World Boxing Super Series and everything. So – I don't think he would have any problem going over there to fight Jack Catterall to defend his title. He'll make more money over there than, than he would make over here to fight him. So uh, it's a, it's an interesting fight at 140 pounds, whether it's, you know, anywhere close to happening. I, I think you're right. I don't think it is. But um, but what does Regis do? You know, does he wait, um, maybe, maybe he's going to wait around for the winner of um, of the Taylor uh, Tiafima Lopez fight as well. But but Jose Ramirez is promoted by top rank and Regis Progre isn't. You you talk to a lot of the same people I'm talking to about that. It just seems like Progray's out there kind of hat in hand saying, you know, I'll fight anywhere on any network against anyone. And there are no real takers right now. I mean, I'd love to see the pressure put on Ramirez to, look, take a break. You didn't get beat up in this fight against Comey. Went 11 rounds. But that's a little longer than you hope. But, you know, take a break and then maybe you come back in June or July and fight against uh, program and then the winner takes on Taylor, the winner of Taylor against Teofimo because, like, is, is Ramirez really going to wait? You know, potentially till November to fight again. I mean, maybe he will. Maybe he doesn't want to fight. You know, more than two times this year. But Progre's out there right now with no fight booked, no plans. Uh, it wouldn't be that difficult to put together a Ramirez uh, Progre fight. You know, for the summer of this year. Well, what that would all come down to, Chris, is the crux of our conversation here. Does Jose Ramirez really want to fight? Regis? Yeah. Because the fight can be put together if he does. But again, I think that he's going to wait out and try to fight the winner of Tiafimo Lopez and Josh Taylor. And I think he's more than comfortable with fighting twice in a calendar year because his minimums are such where I don't think top rank wants him to fight three times in a year because they don't want to pay those purses three times, you know, they, and the other fight, as I mentioned earlier, is an in-house fight and easier to make. So um, that just seems more realistic to me. I, I, it would be great if if we could see that fight. That's a good fight. It's one of the best fights that can be made at 140 pounds. People have wanted to see it for the last few years. I know Regis Progre is itching to get in there with Jose Ramirez because he thinks Ramirez has been ducking him for four or five years, however long it's been. Um, but I just think from a business standpoint and realistically speaking, he's going he's gonna to try to fight the winner of the June 10th fight between Tiafimo and Taylor. Feels like a good MSG fight. I know that Ramirez is Central California. You got Progre from Texas, Louisiana, but Ramirez won a title in in New York years ago, and I think the fans in New York would gravitate towards Progre as well. That feels like a pretty good like Hulu theater type of fight in the summer. But you know, I'm kind of with you. I don't. I'm not holding my breath that 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 fight's going to happen. Uh, a fight that is happening this weekend. Anthony Joshua is back. His first fight since back-to-back losses against Alexander Usyk. He is in phase one now of the Anthony Joshua rebuild where he will take on Jermaine Franklin, whose 
you know, credentials for this fight is effectively, I look good against Dillian White in my last time out. You know, one loss, decent fighting style, whatever. Um, specifically with AJ, like, what are your questions coming into this fight? You turn on DAZN Saturday afternoon, you watch Anthony Joshua. What are you looking for with Joshua? First time back since Usyk, first training, uh, first time with Derek James as his trainer. What are you looking for in this fight? Well, that's the biggest thing, I think, Chris, is what does he look like with Derek James in his corner for the first time? As we hear over and over and over again, you need multiple camps with a new trainer before you really can implement what you're looking to implement with a with a fighter. And sometimes they never really take to it because sometimes fighters just are what they are and they're always going to revert back to what they're most comfortable doing. Um, so I'm, I'm going to be interested to see what kind of adjustments he's made in what was a pretty lengthy training camp with Derek James for the first time. Um, how comfortable he is fighting in the way that Derek James wants him to fight. Um, and I think that's the biggest thing that I'm looking for from the Anthony Joshua side on Saturday. But Jermaine Franklin's not an easy – I mean, a lot of people are looking at this like this is some walkover, and it isn't because I'm not saying Jermaine Franklin is is one of the three best heavyweights in the world, but I think what he showed against Dillian White is that he's a very competent heavyweight. Um, I don't know that he necessarily beat Dillian White, but it was a very competitive fight. Mm-hmm. That's or you could make the argument, I'm sure. Um, and he showed that he belongs at this level, at least. So he he was rewarded for what he did in the Dillian White fight because, I think more than anything, because Dillian White was supposed to fight Anthony Joshua next. So that's why they're putting him in here with Jermaine Franklin as kind of a barometer to see where AJ is at. Um, and, you know, but this isn't the first rebuild for Anthony Joshua. He isn't a trainer, but this is not the first rebuild for him. He's rebuilt how many times, you know, this is his third loss and, and he's had to try to rebuild himself, his psyche and everything after the first two. Um, and you have to wonder with a guy like him, Chris, is he's made so much money and he's such an enormous star in the UK. Uh, how much longer does he want to fight? And what is he fighting for? Because I, I don't know how up he is exactly for fighting Jermaine Franklin, but what is he looking to do down the road? Does, it, does he see the Fury fight as realistic? I mean, there's... You know, no one needs to see him fight Usyk a third time. So really, the Fury fight is the only thing that people would. It would be. I was Wilder too. I still want to see Wilder, even Look, at this stage. Chris, I've been saying this for, I don't know, six years. He, Anthony Joshua, is never fighting Deontay Wilder. It's not happening. He just, and I'm not saying that he couldn't beat him. They're not taking that chance with with Wilder detonating one of those bombs and just knocking him. Mm spark out as they like to say in the uk i, I just I, it's not happening I, i'd be i'll say this i'd be stunned if he ever sets foot in the ring with deontay wilder and again i'm not saying if they did that he couldn't beat him but i just don't think they're ever going to take that risk especially because what does wilder bring to the table now he doesn't have yep. one of the titles and he's it, it doesn't make a lot of sense especially when you can pack arenas stadiums and such fighting other guys that are less dangerous I don't disagree with what you're saying about Joshua Wilder. I I would say if he ever did do it, that'd be a hell of a New York fight. If he was going to make a U.S. return and fight there, ooh, that would be good. MSG or Barclays Center, that would be a wild scene in New York if he ever decided to fight Deontay Wilder. Um, As far as what I'm looking for, it's kind of along the same lines you are. I need to see if Derek James has reinvented Inserted, reinvigorated the dog inside Anthony Joshua because Anthony Joshua does not trust his chin. Simple as that. 
doesn't trust it. It's a combination of the Andy Ruiz knockout, but it's also the knockdown that Vladimir Klitschko uh, hit him with. It's also getting rocked by Alexander Povetkin. It's getting rocked in the first fight with Usyk. It, it seems like every time he trades, he gets rocked in these fights. And he doesn't trust his chin, not one bit. At least he hasn't. Can Derek James get him to do that? Can he get him back to being the guy that was fearless in the ring? Because while that was a risky version of AJ, it was the best version of AJ. This tentative version doesn't beat Vladimir Klitschko back in, what, 2017. This tentative version loses either by decision or gets knocked out. Um, he needs to get back to being that guy if he is going to reclaim his place at the top level. Maybe it's impossible. I don't know. But that, to me, is what I'm looking to see. Like, if Jermaine Franklin gives him an opening, like, say, what was it, the 10th round against uh, uh, Dillian White, Jermaine Franklin got clipped, and Dillian White came in and was looking for a stoppage. If Jermaine Franklin gives him that window, does AJ come out and just go guns blazing right at him? Because what was the, I think it was the ninth round of the second Usyk fight when AJ was stalking Usyk around the ring. I'm like, there's the guy. There he is. That's the guy I've been looking for for the last two years. There he is. And then the 10th round comes, and he's back to being the other guy. Like, he's just Jekyll and Hyde too often uh, during these fights. So I, I guess I don't expect Derek James to reinvent Anthony Joshua, certainly not in one training camp. But can he, can the guys at that gym, can being out of the UK for the first time in your career, can that, you know, just bring back the, just the, the, the predator that Anthony Joshua was early on in his career? I don't know if it can, but to me, that's the only question now that's out there about Anthony Joshua. He can still punch. He can still box a little bit, but if he's not willing to trade, he's not going to win many fights, I don't think. You know, Chris, and it, I don't know that a trainer can change that. You know, yep. that's a bit internal for a fighter that, you know, maybe that version of Anthony Joshua is just gone forever, and, and no one can bring that out of him again because, because, like you said, he doesn't trust his chin, which is precisely why I think he doesn't come anywhere near Deontay Wilder. That's, you know, because he doesn't trust his chin and, be, and, I, and he's got reasons not to trust it, you know? So, so he's not the same guy that was fearless against Vladimir Klitschko and went for broke and traded knockdowns with a, even a, well, what was Klitschko at that point? 41 years old. Yeah. Uh, you know, that person may be gone forever, you know? So it's an interesting fight against Jermaine Franklin. And, I'm, and, and I don't think it's a fight that Joshua can't lose. I wouldn't expect that to happen, but this is not, you know, he's not fighting. I don't know. Pick the, one of the worst guys that he's fought, the, you know, during his run as a top level heavyweight. This is, this is not a. Kubrat Pulev. Like, this is not a, it's not a tune up fight, you know? Yeah. I, I don't look at it that way. You know, I, I don't look. It's winner go home though. It's, huh? it's winner go home at this point. He, he, right. he loses. Well, yeah. I, mean, I think that's a, if he loses to remain Franklin, I think that's a wrap. I don't think we'll see him ring again, particularly if he got knocked out, which I, which I don't see happening either. Yeah. But yeah, look, the bottom line is, Chris, could Jermaine Franklin win seven rounds on Saturday and lose the fight at O2 Arena? Of course. So we always like to talk about paths to victory on, on the podcast. I don't know. Win if 11 he, rounds. Win 11 rounds clean with two knockdowns in each one. I don't know <laughs> if he might, has a path that might to be victory it. based that on the circumstances, but... That might be it. That might be it. Um, we touched on Bevel. I don't really have anything more to add on that. Like, I don't know who Bevel is going to fight. Uh, I don't know who Munguia is going to fight at this point. Um, 
I don't know if you have any insight. They're not going to fight each other. Yes. Munguia's got this June 10th date, you know, (laughs) at least for now. I I don't think that anyone at DAZN is going to sign off on Munguia fighting a B-level fighter. He's not going to fight Edgar Berlanga. I I don't know. I don't know. Can they get Golovkin in the ring? I I mean, that, that to me is the best chance if Golovkin really wants to fight, but... You know, Gennady's not really showing much interest in doing anything unless you're going to pay him like what you paid him in the last three fights that he made. And nobody wants to do that anymore. And, and Chris, he doesn't have the belts now, and now Munguia wants to fight him. I saw some for promotions quotes floating around, and, yeah. you know, that they, they, they want to fight Golovkin now on June 10th. Like, why? And I get it from a, you know, he's he'd be the most credible name on his resume by a, by a country mile, but... um but what is the purpose of that? He doesn't have any of the titles. And it's almost like saying something that you know is not going to come to fruition because you know what Golovkin's relationship with the zone is. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have the titles now. He doesn't, as you said, seem you know, as hungry to fight as he once did. It's going to be, what, 41 in a couple of weeks, I think? Yeah, I think next week. I believe he turns four, uh, 41 years old. So, And he's made a lot of money, and he's, and, you know, he's been in some – you know, tougher fights in the last few years and everything. Maybe he just says, that's it. That's enough. You know, and I could, I wouldn't blame him for that. If that's he's you can't fight forever. So um, what does he really gain? If they paid him appropriately, sure. But what does he really gain from fighting Jaime Munguia? Yeah, just money at this point. And maybe right. a guy he could yeah. beat, you know, maybe a guy he could beat. Yeah. Yeah. Um, last thing before I let you go, uh, we mentioned Fury, who is now looking for an opponent. I got to tell you, even though this it was trending in this direction, I'm shocked that the Fury Usyk fight didn't happen because we are dealing with two guys who have a pretty solid track record for making fights happen. I mean, Fury crossed the street. Well, I mean, didn't really cross the street earlier against Klitschko, but made a deal with Vladimir Klitschko, went to Germany to do it, and then more recently fought three times against Deontay Wilder. Made a deal, top ranked PBC. They got the fight done. Usyk. I mean, he he just does fights. He makes fights happen. Whoever he's dealing with, I, I'm I'm shocked to be honest that that fight has fallen apart in the way that it has. What's your read on that? Like, you know, any insight into why? We know the rematch clause was why it fell apart, but that just seems so crazy that a fight of this magnitude would collapse over a rematch clause like that. It just doesn't. It doesn't really just make a lot of sense to me. Yeah, I'm very surprised that it's not happening either, Chris, because obviously all the all the titles are at stake and, and they would have crowned a, a unified, fully unified heavyweight champion in the first time in forever. Uh, so I am surprised it's not happening, but um, I get the business perspective that, you know, he didn't want to give up the type of split in the rematch that, that they were asking for. He's the A side, even if he doesn't have the titles. Um but but there's blame, plenty of blame to go around. I know a lot of people are blaming Fury for not wanting to fight Usyk. I, I don't know if that look. He's never shied away from fighting anyone else. But look, the fight's not happening, and Usyk insists that he was willing to do it on mostly on Fury's terms. His manager Igis Klimas has said the same thing. So um, you know, certainly some of the blame blame has to fall on Tyson Fury. But let's see who he fights next. <clears throat> if he fights Joe Joyce, if Joe Joyce wins against Jean Gillet on uh april 15th which is not an easy fight i know john no. is a he's almost 40 years old but he's a six foot six uh you know 260 270 ish whatever he comes in at can crack uh has a great uh amateur pedigree 
faded in that one fight against Jerry Forrest, where you know, which was you know, a draw on his record. But otherwise, you know, a lot of people think he beat Philip Hergovich. It was a very close fight, knocked Hergovich down. He's a real guy. So, um, of course, Joe Joyce is the favorite. But if Joyce gets past John Delay, um, and and Tyson Fury fights Joe Joyce, well, that's not a bad alternative. You know, I mean, Joe Joyce is a seems like the Terminator. He just keeps coming forward, keeps beating guys that people don't expect him to beat. Yada yada yada. And here he is. You know, I I talked to him. At, I I was walking out of the arena with him after the uh, Benavides plant fight. He just happened to be walking side by side, going out of the arena. And I interviewed him for a couple minutes, walking out of the building. And and he said, "Yeah." And he goes, "Obviously, I want to fight Tyson Fury." He goes, "But I know this is not an easy fight I have coming up in a couple of weeks." He goes, "But." I think people would be really hyped up in the UK if we fought each other. Tyson's always shown me a lot of respect, which I appreciate, and I would love the opportunity to fight him. Look, it's not for all four heavyweight titles, and he's not, Joe Joyce isn't the guy who beat Anthony Joshua twice, but if that's plan B, that's a palatable plan B, much more so than fighting someone like Derek Chisora or or something absurd like that. Yeah, Joe Joyce... Very credible uh, to face the summer. That's a Wembley Stadium type of fight, too. You do a big uh, crowd in the UK. That would be a nice save if you're Tyson Fury. Then maybe you can revisit Usyk in the fall. Maybe they get the Middle East interested. That's That seems to be where you. it's most likely you can get a deal done because of all the money that's you know in Saudi Arabia, in Abu Dhabi, wherever they'd negotiate with. But um, I, I'm, again, I'm just stunned. I, those two guys... They get fights done. They get deals done. And now we're going to have to wait a little bit longer to crown undisputed champion uh, at heavyweight. All right. Follow Keith on Twitter at IDEC Boxing. Read his stuff over at BoxingScene.com. If you see him in Vegas on Garcia Tank Fight Week, he'll be wearing the Charlo Andre t-shirt. He's promised me all week long. So if if you're looking for it, it's black, it's red, it's nice. Check it out. Keith will uh, happily sign your t-shirt if you're wearing it as well. So, Keith, I do appreciate all that you've done uh, for the uh, podcast. I'm here to serve Chris Maddox, so it's all good. And when we come back from Overtime Elite, Brandon Rhodes. So everybody listening to this podcast listens for boxing stuff. But you also know that I am a huge NBA guy. The NBA season is coming down to the wire, so now is the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Because new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Then you can bet on everything, from the money line to point scores and threes drained. I just took a big L on FanDuel. Usually I like to talk about winnings, but I had the Spurs plus 15 and a half last week against the Celtics and then they went out and took the biggest loss in Greg Popovich's history of coaching the team but I bounced back the day a day later when I took the Clippers to beat the Bulls that was a even week for me I'm looking forward to more bets this week on FanDuel so don't miss the chance to get your no sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you download FanDuel.com slash boxing that's fanduel.com slash boxing to learn more and fanduel is now live in massachusetts where i made that bet both of them download the app now and take advantage of the great special offers boosts and so much more make every moment more with fanduel an official sports betting partner of the nba 
21 plus in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 deposit required. Refund issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with the Kansas City Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash RG. Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, or Virginia. 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit www.mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369 in New York. 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming or visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia. Welcome back to another Boxing with Chris Mannix. As always, you can listen to the show live on the AMP app just follow Chris Mannix on AMP. All right, Brandon Rhodes is the GM of Overtime Boxing, an upcoming summer series that will feature some of boxing's younger stars. The shows will take place in OTE Arena in Georgia and will air globally on DAZN. And to talk about that, Brandon joins me here on the show. Brandon, uh, good to meet you and congratulations on this new uh, venture here if you could just kind of walk me through kind of the genesis of it like when did you know a lot like a lot of people myself included no overtime for its basketball venture for getting into overtime elite and being a disruptor in in that sport what what brought overtime into boxing thanks first of all chris thanks for having me super excited a big fan of you and the show i'm um, excited to tell our story here so uh, yeah, as you mentioned, over time, we've been around for about six years now and really have taken ownership of the Gen Z market in basketball and football and recently have decided to enter boxing with OTX, Overtime Boxing. Uh, we're super excited about it. As you already mentioned, uh, we'll be having dedicated social channels telling the story of boxing, not just the, the fighters that we work with, but boxing in general, 365. We'll have four fight nights in our arena in August. Uh, which we're incredibly excited about, partnering with DAZN, and we have C4 as our launch partner for the venture. And what drew us to boxing is first and foremost our audience, Chris. You know, Gen Z was showing and telling us that they're extremely interested in the sport. Um, it's kind of having this renaissance, and you could attribute that to a lot of things. But as we dove deeper and looked at the data, our audience told us that boxing was their number four favorite sport after football, basketball, and soccer. Um, so that was an obvious area for us to look and dive deeper into. And it was very clear from a content perspective that the young fighters themselves were trying to create content, build audience themselves, but were also asking for their story to be told. And we know with all sports, um, but specifically boxing, if you know the fighter story, you're more likely to tune in, you're more likely to care and watch and eventually be a fan. So we felt that with our you know audience of 75 million fans and followers with our ability to create and pump out content that boxing would lend itself very naturally to our audience, to our capability 
And as we talked to fighters and learned a little bit more about the space, it was clear that there was some demand for this. Yeah, I, I completely agree with the idea of of telling fighter stories. I think too often in boxing, you know, good fighters are just kind of thrown together on a platform and there's no real connection. And because media coverage of boxing has diminished so much in the last 20 years, you don't get that storytelling aspect of fighters. You don't get to connect with them on a personal level. Um, I also believe there is a good market, a real market for this level of boxing. You see, and you can tell me how similar or dissimilar you plan to this to be, but Showbox is an example of younger fighters getting a platform. NBC recently had a Ring City series that was a good platform for younger fighters. Do you see similarities with overtime boxing to what those platforms are trying to do or are there significant differences yeah chris i mean i think one of the things that we look at is empowering the athlete when we think about all of our ventures when it's basketball football and now boxing and a lot of what i heard um, from fighters and from managers and promoters in the industry was that there was just a need for more shows because originally this really did start with a content. I'm lens. shocked, Brandon. I'm shocked that you heard from managers and promoters saying there's need for more shows. I'm shocked that they I did. <laughs> no, because no, they, of course, they want more shows. They they love more shows. That means more money potentially. More options. Well, more yeah. options, more empowerment for the athlete, right? So, or for the fighter. Um, and what we heard from fighters and what we've seen is that a lot of them actually have to go overseas to build their record or work multiple jobs or even oftentimes pay promoters at an early stage to find somewhere to fight. So why not take what we do so well from a content perspective and provide that as a service to the athlete, but also give them a stage to fight on. And in our arena in Atlanta is just unlike any other arena that you've been in. It's kind of, if you think of a club show, you know, with 1,500 seats, very intimate, um, close up, see the action very well, but combine that with some capabilities of your, you know, Barclays Center or Madison Square Garden mixed with kind of all of the digital LEDs that we have that'll really light up the faces of the athletes and the fighters. I think it's just going to be a very different experience from something that we've seen, although, you know, kind of going at this prospect level where we think we can help raise their profile and hopefully help them get to the next level in their career. So uh, I know most managers and promoters listen to the show, some obsessively so, but um, if they're listening, like what kind of fighters are you looking for? Who do you want? Wh what kind of fighters do you want promoters, managers, et cetera, to come to you with that would make sense for this platform? That's a great question. Um, we're, we're looking for, you know, prospects who are hungry to get to the next stage. Uh, fighters who have a really great personality and a great story to tell. And obviously in boxing, we know the stories are so rich, um, but we're also looking for fighters who are ready to be competitive as well, especially when we think of our main and co-main events. We want them to kind of fight fighters at a similar level um, and think about it as a stepping stone to get to that next level. So if you come out of OTX, hopefully that, you know, you've come with some more followers, you've come with a built up profile, but you've also fought a uh, next level of competition so that you're ready to you know, graduate to whatever the next level of your career is. Are you know boxing? Of course, is a very diverse sport. Um, are you looking for more American fighters? Is there kind of a uh, what? What specifically? You know, American, international, Puerto Rican, and what kind of nationalities are you looking for specifically, if any? 
Yeah, I, we're completely open. Uh, we'll probably in the first year folk have a higher concentration of fighters that live in the U.S. or in the U.S. currently. Um, but we're completely open to international as well. And we're going to have males and females and also um, probably a higher concentration of the younger age group, 18 to 25, let's say. But that's not a hard stop either. So we just are really looking for fighters who, again, are hungry and want to be in front of the camera, want to tell their story and kind of want to be able to build their profiles a little bit more. How, you know, in the last couple of weeks or months, as word of this has gotten out, like, have you heard from most of the major promoters, managers, people involved in the business? And what have those conversations kind of been like? Uh, most conversations have been friendly. You know, I think what our message has been is that we're very additive to the sport. You know, we're coming in at this lower level. We're not looking to compete. Uh, we're really looking to lift, you know, boxing into the Gen Z zeitgeist. You know, it's already been growing from a trend perspective. And we think we can just add to that. And I think that's good for everybody. So that's been our messaging from day one. And, you know, I think if we were coming in at a high level, trying to steal fighters or kind of, you know, spend a ton of money, then I think people would look at it differently. But the positioning that we have is, you know, additive overall. And, and it's been fairly friendly so far. And are you at a position where you're effectively saying any promoter, any manager, anyone in boxing that makes sense with a fight that makes sense we we're willing to work with you yes 100 percent. yeah that's great because you know one of the problems i think in boxing right now is that it, it's kind of become siloed off right where you have promoter x working with network y promoter d work, working with uh network c it, it limits the options there and you know to be open for uh, multiple different promoters to work together i think will has has a great chance of uh, ultimately succeeding. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, we've seen how the industry set up and I think there's, you know, benefits for the the industry in some ways. And my view is just that, you know, we're, we're creating something that's different. We're a neutral party. We're additive to the sport. We can work with anyone who's willing to work with us. Um, you know, there's, I think there's a fair amount of unsigned fighters that are really talented and looking for opportunities. But if a promoter has, um, a fighter that they've already signed that they want to put on our card. We don't see any barrier there uh, to work with them. What's the key in your mind to making this sustainable? You've got the four fights, as you said, over the summer. Um, I'm sure you want to do more to make this a long-term play for overtime. Uh, you mentioned the sponsor, C4. You're obviously assume, presumably getting some seed money from DAZN to do these fights as well. Um you know, what's the key to, to being able to do this over two, three, four year span? Yeah, Chris, the first thing I think about is the fighters. You know, we want to provide them with a A plus incredible experience. If the fighters love it, if they want to work with us, if we're de uh, delivering value to them, then I think that's the first step in making this sustainable. And then number two, um, of course, is the fan, right? So the fan has to enjoy what we put together, whether that's attending live, um, or whether that's watching on zone or whether that's seeing a clip on social, like I, all of that content needs to be kind of differentiated and just look special. Um, and then number three, obviously, is, you know, our partners, right? So making sure that we have a great experience with zone on these first four, making sure that C4 um, has an incredible experience in, in what we've work, uh, decided to work with them on and other sponsors that come on board. You know, we've had a great track record in our basketball league, OTE, 
you know, with Gatorade, State Farm, Tops, and other, and GM and other partners. Um, and we want to deliver that in the boxing space as well. Were you surprised that the data showed that younger fans were interested in boxing? Because I think the assumption in a lot of ways is kind of boxing skews older because boxing does not do a great job of expanding its fan base. What it does a great job of is bleeding the hardcore fans for as much money as humanly possible. I mean, were you surprised that when that data kind of came back and it suggested that younger fans had a strong appetite for boxing? Um, I would say yes and no. The reason being is that, you know, as a amateur boxer myself, someone who competes and kind of took it up during the pandemic, I was seeing firsthand as a fan, you know, this kind of in increased interest and traction um, and just kind of more buzz and more content. Um, I think that, you know, the Jake Pauls of the world and that kind of dribbled up some interest amongst Gen Z, um, the pandemic and the fact that boxing and combat sports were some of the first back, um, I think all had an impact on this fandom. So we were kind of seeing the trends organically. And every time we posted clips of boxing, they did extremely well. So at a high level, you know, I kind of understood that this was coming. But then once we did the surveying and actually looked at some hard data, I was a little surprised that it was number four. And our audience actually raised their hand and said eight out of 10 of them are boxing fans. Now, are they all hardcore fans? Probably not. But I think that's part of our job is to take some of that seed interest and then translate it into more deeper interests and create more hardcore fans of the sport. Best case scenario, you get through this four fight run or four card run in 2023. What does 2024 look like for overtime boxing? I think it's just bigger and better. You know, we don't know exactly what 2024 is going to hold right now. We're just focused again on delivering a, an amazing experience for the fighters, for the fans, for the partners that we have. Um, but, you know, assuming all goes well, we definitely want to expand and just go a little bigger and do a little bit more for next year. Are you prepared for the headaches that comes with being involved in boxing? It is a, it is a sport filled with characters who are always trying to gain an edge. Yeah. I mean, I think we just approach it like we approach any other business, you know, just kind of stand on our word, you know, do what we say we're going to do. And I think it all work out at the end of the day. Well, Brandon, good luck to you, man. I'm excited about it because I do think there is, as I said, a real place for this kind of boxing, um, whether it is yours, what Showbox is, what NBC Sports was. I think there's there's a place for it if done well. And you guys have shown uh, with your other sports that you can do it extremely well. Uh, good luck to you and looking forward to seeing it uh, in action this summer. Thanks, Chris, man. We're extremely excited to get the news out and start working with the fighters and get it live. So appreciate you. And when we come back, this week's picks brought to you by FanDuel. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Now, I'm supposed to talk here about what I remember and what I loved about my first car. And that's easy for me to do because I still have my first car. And as long as it keeps running, and so far so good, I intend to have that car probably until the day I die. Uh, that's how much I love that car. It is like a child to me. Now, it does require some upkeep, and that's why I'm grateful for a place like eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED lights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices... 
You're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Every Day Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. You can build internal resources. That's what the study of psychology is about, building internal resources. Turning towards is one of the most important elements of successful relationships, no matter what kind of relationship it is. The thing that underpins all of this productivity stuff is finding a way to make the journey itself enjoyable. The journey is the destination. The beauty of uncertainty is infinite possibility. When you don't know what's next, you don't know what's next. And thus, anything can be next. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, time now for this week's picks brought to you by our friends over at FanDuel. And I certainly hope that the podcast audience out there bet with me last week. I had David Benavidez by decision at plus 430, and that hit. It hit big time. Benavidez scores a wide decision win over Caleb Plant. I just had a feeling coming in. There was a lot of bad blood in a fight like this, but you look at Benavidez, big puncher, but doesn't have a lot of knockouts against high-level competition. And Caleb Plant, whatever you think of him, good jab, moves really well. Then you find out later in the week that the ring is 22 by 22, which gave Caleb Plant more real estate to work with. That, to me, felt like a good bet, and it paid off big time. I hope you bet with me on that one as well. The big fight this weekend is the heavyweight clash over in the UK. The return of Anthony Joshua. He is back against Jermaine Franklin live on DAZN. Uh, Joshua's a big favorite here. Minus 1,200 to win, according to FanDuel. That feels like a safe bet. Uh, I know Jermaine Franklin had a solid outing against Dillian White, but I'm of the opinion that Dillian White is basically finished. And Jermaine Franklin almost got stopped by him in the latter stage of that fight. Anthony Anthony Joshua's coming into this fight motivated. He's coming off back-to-back losses. He's got a new trainer. He's been working in Texas. All these things, I think, are going to work in the favor of Anthony Joshua. So if you want to put some real money on there and try to make it back, Anthony Joshua minus 1,200 is uh, a pretty good bet. Now, where you have a chance to make some money is in the round betting, the uh, group round betting I'm looking at right now on FanDuel. Joshua to win in rounds 7 through 12 is at this point at minus, or plus, I should say, 150. So I would take Joshua in rounds 7 to 12. That's the second half of the fight, plus 155 per FanDuel. Joshua 7 to 12 to win. That gives you a chance to pick up a knockout in the second half of the fight. If he decides to be more calculated, get a decision, you win more money that way. So that, to me, is 
the safest of bets and your best chance to make real money uh, if you bet on this fight. So I think Joshua's going to win. That's clear. I think it might take him a little while to get going early on as he works out how his new trainer wants him to fight. Joshua to win in rounds 7 through 12 at plus 155 right now on FanDuel. Bet that. Make some cash. Let's keep this thing rolling. Those are my picks brought to you by FanDuel. That's it for this week's episode. My thanks to Keith Eideck and Brandon Rhodes for joining the show. As always, subscribe, rate, review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you download podcasts. And I'll see you next week. Fire the grill and fire up the party. Get the Weber Searwood Pellet Grill. Smoke, roast, and sear on the same grill. Go from low and slow on smoke boost mode at 180 degrees all the way to high heat sear at 600 degrees. It's got a full grate sear zone so you can put more food on the flame. Food will look as good as it tastes. This grill is hot in 15 minutes and cleanup is easy. You can also add a heavy duty rotisserie or rust resistant griddle insert to up your game. Get fired up for your new Weber Searwood Pellet Grill. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at, at First, first listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound... Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.